Hey everyone, this is Phil and you're listening to the Vision Podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. How many of you have ever struggled with the idea of taking thoughts captive and then making them obedient to Christ? Well, we talk about this in this message and I'm excited about it because I think it's going to be practical help from Scripture that shows us how to do this and we show you from the Word And so I just encourage you to listen with an open heart and enjoy the podcast. I'm just saying for you to come out in the snow and in the weather and say, you know what, I need to be at church this morning. That means that God wants to do something in here. That means that he really has something significant on his heart that he wants to get communicated. And I think the posture of our heart is what dictates what we receive. That you didn't come to receive today from a man, you came to receive from him. And he's the one that we have invited. Our our team has been here early this morning. We've been praying this morning. And we are ready to receive his presence here in this place because it's him. He's the one that sets free. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that gives us what we need. Amen. So if you would with me, would you just pray with me for a moment? Yeah, yeah. Rebecca, turn it up a little bit. Sounds good. Thank you, Father God. Lord, we're just here to honor you, to lift high your name, to exalt you. Say what you want to say today. We're here to receive what you have for us. We lay down our requests, our desires, our wants, our needs, and we just focus on your presence. God, it's a joy for us to fellowship with you, to walk in the coolness of the garden with you. Thank you, Lord, that everything else fades in your presence. And I pray for every person here, Lord, that needs healing in their bodies. Right now, I pray for healing. In Jesus' name, healing come. Minister, Holy Spirit, to every person. Thank you, Father. Hips that are out of alignment are coming back into alignment. Lord, I thank you that that, the vertebrae are lining back up now. In Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that cold symptoms are leaving. The scratchy throat is healed. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you that your healing power is here because your presence is here. Oh, man, don't you feel it? Don't you, can't you tell his presence is here? God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in this place. We praise you. God's our healer. He can heal blood, high blood pressure. He can heal seizures. There's nothing that God can't do if you and I are willing to believe. 
See, the Bible says, Jesus said that, that all things are possible with God. With God, all things are possible. He said that when the rich young ruler walked away, and that, remember the disciples said, well, how can anyone be saved? And he said, with God, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So that's one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is all things are possible to him who believes. We have to be people who believe. So, Father, this morning, we're believers. We believe your word. And we take it as final authority in our lives. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate you. Can you give her, Rebecca a hand? Love her. She's so awesome. So grateful. Well, if you have your Bible, would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. How many of you know what the greatest commandment is? The greatest commandment that Jesus said was the greatest commandment. What was it? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said the second, one, second commandment is, is like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So the interesting thing is that in that, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And when I think about the mind, I think, wow, that's an interesting thing for God to say. I mean, why didn't he say everything? But he specifically named these things because he said, I I want you to love me with your mind. With your mind. So this is a commandment, right? It's the greatest commandment. So commandments mean that we have the ability to, to obey them. God wouldn't give you a commandment that you couldn't obey, would he? He wouldn't ask you to do something that you couldn't do. And so we need God's grace to be able to walk out his commandments, to be able to fulfill his commandments, right? Um, But Jesus died to give you the grace to be able to walk out those commandments. And when we're in relationship with him and we love him so much, his commandments are not burdensome. What does that mean? That means I don't have to toil and work to try and obey him because I love him so much. And I'm so enthralled in him. And I'm like Mary at his feet that I can't see anything else. So then when people sin against you, it doesn't create sin in you. Because you're like, that's you, man. Love you. And just like Mary, remember Martha said, Jesus, tell her to help me. She's not even helping me. She's not doing anything. And yet Mary didn't even pay attention to it. She didn't mention it. Why? She was so wrapped up in him that she couldn't see the offense. She couldn't see the sin against her. Man, isn't that good news? How many of you would like to be at that place where sin against you does not produce sin in you? Where you're so filled with love, man, that it doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what they say against me. I'm so in love with Jesus. No, they didn't do that. They wouldn't have said that. I mean, that you're blind to it. People say love is blind. You know, mama's love is blind. No, it's that she sees the potential in her children that it's difficult for her to see the bad that they do. Yeah. So we have a commandment, and Jesus wants us to obey that command. But look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And I want to read to you out of verse 3, out of my big Bible, and it's big because it's large print, that's why. Okay, 3. Verse 3, yeah, easy to read. That's why I'm putting my glasses on. Okay, now, verse 3 says, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he's in this chapter kind of defending his authority that God has given him, but in verse 3, he makes an interesting statement. He says, We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This is very, very interesting. In the NIV, in that last verse, in verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments at every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. What kind of thoughts is he talking about? Because he said back here uh, in in verse 4, that he talked about human reasoning and he talked about uh, false arguments, human reasoning. There are thoughts, there's a war and a battle that's going on right now. It's not a battle that you see in the natural. I mean, there's plenty of other wars, but he just said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't do battle the way that humans do. Humans do battle one way. God has different weapons. And they're very effective weapons. And so, but there's a battle going on. And guess where the battle is? It's right here. It's in the mind. And so, it got, and so Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your mind. And there's a battle going on. And the battle is, is that Satan knows. He understands. He's been on the earth long enough. He was in heaven for Pete's sake. I mean, he's seen a lot. Okay, so he, you know, we need the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. I don't know how people live without the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. Because he gives us, you know, the ability to see things, to be able to fight in a way that is a spiritual fight instead of a natural fight. And so there's a battle that goes on in the mind where God has said one thing and then the enemy comes and he brings something else and then you're in a conflict. Because let's say you pray and you believe God for something to happen. It doesn't happen. But you know that God's word says that if I pray and I believe that this can happen. And then when it doesn't happen, now you have conflict in your heart. Why? What's going on? The battle is going on. The battle is going on. And the battle is going on in our mind. That's where the war, it's actually the war is being waged on your mind. Notice I said on your mind. So I want to look at another scripture over in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Can you turn over there? Yeah. We're getting into some word today and it's going to be super good. Mark chapter 4. And it says in Mark 4, look at verse 14. Now this is Jesus. Jesus is explaining a parable. He told us a parable about a seed being sown on all these different types of soil. And then his disciples came to him and they said, Lord, would you please 
uh, explain that to us. And so Jesus is explaining it to him in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. Explain that, Phil. This is what I'm doing right now is I'm sowing the word of God. I'm, I'm preaching what his word says to you, right? So the sower sows the word. And these are the ones that were sown uh, where, by the wayside where the, where the word was sown. They hear Satan comes immediately to take away that word that was sown in their hearts. John 10.10 10 gives the devil's job description. His only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only purpose. He doesn't have another purpose or plan. He doesn't want a buddy. He's not looking for a friend. There's not going to be a party in hell. The only thing that's in hell is great anguish. And when you read your Bible and you really get to understand that and people that discover what, I mean, man, at the end of time, God said that we're going to look at the devil and go, are you kidding me? This is the one who caused nations to tremble. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. That's his job description. And so in verse 16, it says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, but because they have no root in themselves, they only endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. What came because of the word? What came for the word's sake? He said tribulation and persecution. Why does that come for the word? It's the enemy coming to try and take the word, if he can't steal the word, in the first part of that explanation of the parable, we saw that Jesus is saying the first thing the enemy is going to try and do is to take the word. But anything of value, you and I, we hide it, don't we? In our home, I have a gun at home, thank God, and I keep it in a very safe place. Why? Because it's a valued <laughs> protection piece in my home. Not that I would ever want to use it, but it's there in case. And you hide those things. We have, we have jewelry. We hide things that we value, right? You put them in a safe place. Well, Mary, you remember Mary. Um, when, when the angel came and the angel told Mary, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and began to share all these things with her. And then, and then there was Anna, the, remember, remember she was the one that would pray in the temple every day and she would fast and pray and she spoke some things over, over Jesus and then Simeon spoke some things over Jesus and the Bible says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. What did she do? She put it deep down into a secret place because it's a valuable thing to her. What Simeon said is a valuable thing to her. And so you don't speak those things that are valuable to you, right? Does that make sense? And so that way when tribulation, so that way the enemy, the bird is not able to come down and sweep down and take that seed. Why? Because it's hidden. It's hidden in the earth. It's in good ground. That word is, is down deep in our heart. It's planted. It's deeply rooted in there. And so the enemy can't, he can't take that. So what does he do instead? Persecution. Tribulation came. 
And what did it say? It said, because when the tribulation and the persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Why? Because they only endured for a short time because they had no root in themselves. The word did not go deep enough to produce a harvest in their life. So when we read the word of God and we ask God before we read, Lord, reveal to me your will. Speak to me through your word. I want to know what it says. I want to know what it says for me. And then when we read it and he speaks to our heart, our, our responsibility as Christians is to posture our heart so that our soil is fertile so that that word can go deep down in there. And how does it go deep? It goes deep when you decide to believe it and when you decide to act on it. That's when it goes deep in you. Thank you, Jesus. And so the enemy tries to undermine God's word in our lives so that it won't take root. Uh, He does that by getting you to question God. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they were at the tree? Adam was there with her, and the serpent is tempting Eve. And he said, why don't you, I mean, it's a, it's, she saw that the fruit was beautiful, that it, that it was, I forget the rhyme, but anyway, it would make her wise. It would make her like God. And she's looking at the fruit, and the enemy says, yeah, why don't you go ahead? And then he made this statement. Did God really say you couldn't eat of the tree? That's what he does. He comes and he questions what God said. And when you're at a place where you've prayed, maybe you didn't get the outcome that you wanted to see in the natural. The enemy brings that word. Does God's miracles really work? Are they for today? Is the Bible really true? And people begin to question in their heart. What are they doing? They're not guarding their mind. They're allowing a thought to produce an action in them which will change what they believe. Wow. For every godly word spoken in our hearts, the enemy has a counterfeit. For everything that God says, he has a counterfeit. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? That's the other thing that the enemy does is he he tries to put his word right there with God and try to strangle it. Try to keep it, prevent it from growing in your life. Let me tell you, the enemy is so afraid of us getting the word of God so deep in our heart that we act on it, that we believe it, and it changes us. It transforms us. That's what he's most afraid of. And why is this important? Why is this battle so important? Proverbs 23, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Woo! It's good. I'll amen that. So thought patterns are what manages behavior. Behavior comes from the heart. And the condition of the heart is the product of whether or not we love God with our mind. Wow. So let's break down these scriptures a little bit. So if you're in Second Corinthians, or if you're in Mark, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to look at verse 3 one more time. Verse 3. See? You've only been here 10 minutes, and you've already got a lot out of this, haven't you? Glory to God. I have too. 
2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 3 again. I'm going to read it again. This is, I'm reading out of the NLT. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. The contemporary English version says, we live in this world, but we don't act like it's people. Hmm. We live in this world, but we don't act like like its people. The easy-to-read version says, we live in this world, but we don't fight our battles in the same way the world does. See, the culture you choose to live in, it becomes the prominent influence in your life, and that determines how you do battle. There's only two cultures that you can be a part of on the earth. It's the culture of the flesh, the culture of the spirit. There's only two. In fact, it says that in Romans 8, verse 6. It says you can let your sinful nature control your mind, which leads to death, or you can let the spirit control your mind, which leads to life and peace. Interesting, last week we talked about the contrast between Mary and Martha. And did you notice that Mary was completely at peace. She was completely at rest at the feet of Jesus, focused on him, where on the other hand, we had Martha over here who has anxiety and worry about many things. She was distracted. No peace. Peace, no peace. Flesh, flesh, spirit. Wow. So, So in... You might be saying, well, Phil, how can I set the culture of my heart then to spirit? Joshua 1.8. I want to read it to you out of the New King James. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, shall be constantly in. Is another way it says, or it has a little A and you click on it. And that's what it says. In it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This past Tuesday, we had the men's meeting at our house, and it was, I had to say, the most powerful men's meeting that I've been to. It was so good. And um, James Dalton was there. He is part of a ministry called Pathway to Freedom. Pathway to Freedom is a ministry that works with inmates who are two years from parole. You can only be a part of it if, you're, you, know, if you meet certain qualifications. And when you do, um, you get in this program, and it could help shorten your sentence, but they work with you two years prior to parole and a year after parole to get you acclimated again back to the world. You know, we met a guy in here. Sometimes the guys come from... Uh, who have been a part of that program. I met a guy who had been in prison for 24 years. Wouldn't you say that he might need some acclimation back into society? The world's changed a little bit. And so James brought this guy named Mario. And Mario had been through their program. He was one of their success stories. And he began to share about how he, when he was in general population and what that was like and the culture that was there. And then when he had the opportunity to go and to be in the Pathway to Freedom program, it's in a different building. So it's across the prison yard. He said you could see it from the window of his cell when he was in general population. And then when he moved, he said it was a completely different culture. He said, I walked up to a guy and he shook my hand and he smiled. And he said, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. And he just looked at him like, are they all like this? Do they all smile? And he said, I, he said, I looked at the at the, at the uh, guard, and I said, 
are they all this nice? And he said, you have no idea. (laughs) He'd never been in that culture before. Well, it wasn't just that about the culture. Here was the difference. Where he was and now where he is with with Pathway to Freedom, he's in the scriptures eight hours a day. Eight hours a day. Tell me that wouldn't leave an impact on your life. Let me put that in perspective. If you, if you wanted to be a good drummer, I mean, I mean, not just a good drummer, but a great drummer. If you had 16 hours a day to rehearse, let's just say you did. I'm not saying you do, but if you did, wow. Um, let's just say you had 16 hours a day to rehearse. If you rehearse 16 hours a day, in six months, you would be a monster player. Six months. Isn't that true, Russ? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Steve? Am I right on? Okay. All right. So let me say this, though. Change. What happened to Mario? He changed the way he saw things, and so he changed the way he believed. That culture change, when he meditated on the word day and night and committed himself to not only believe it, but to do what it said, and he put himself, he practiced the word of God. What it did was it changed how how he saw himself, and it changed what he believed. Man. Why? Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? Let's look at the next next verse in verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. See, strongholds, that word means a fortress or a prison. Paul says that the aim of this warfare is the destruction of the stronghold. It would be like a military stronghold. And so strongholds, this would be a stronghold of belief. Again, the enemy is trying to come. And there's this competition for what we believe. We have the spirit on one side and we have the enemy on On the other side, and the battle is over what you're going to give your life to. Okay, so this is so important. The devil wants to steal the word that has been spoken over our lives. And so if we listen to our enemies, we give our enemies power. If we listen to the lie, we empower the liar. Yeah. So let's look at another breakdown. Let's look at the next verse, verse 5. He said, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So we have a responsibility. You know, you can't stop what you're thinking about. I mean, thoughts coming, I mean. You can't stop what you're thinking about. But you can't stop thoughts from coming. And I heard, I heard it put this way, that they're like birds that fly over your head. I can't do anything about the birds that fly over my head, but they, I, I can sure keep them from making a nest in my hair, right, or on my head. So you can do the same thing. So how do we do this? One, we have to recognize the thought. Is it human reasoning? Is it a false argument? Is it pride speaking? What is it that is producing this thought? What kind of a thought is this? And then we capture the thought. What does that mean? You don't allow your mind to think on it, to meditate on it, right? And then we teach it to obey Christ. 
So now we're not only responsible to recognize a thought and then capture the thought, now we make that thought obedient to Christ. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us over in Philippians. Turn over to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Is this all right? All right. I'm not going too fast, am I? I don't talk as fast as David Barton and those guys. My word. Those guys are like, they have wind gusts of, what do you say, up to 300 miles an hour? It's like, whew, yeah, Becca, you can, Rebecca, you can go ahead and come on. Appreciate you. So Philippians 4. And let's start in verse 4. It doesn't have a lot to do with the mind in the first couple verses, but it's really good. In verse 4, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice, (laughs) he says. So apparently we need more joy in our life. How many of you know of some people that need some joy in their life? Maybe you've been waited on by them. Maybe, yeah. I mean, or maybe you've shopped in a store and they helped you and you say, yeah, that person could use some joy. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. That's what we've been hearing all morning long. Maranatha, that's what it means. Lord Jesus, come. The Lord is coming soon. And look at this next verse, though. In verse 6, it says, don't worry. or be. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Thoughts of worry are going to come. The question is, are you going to yield to the thought? Because when bad reports come, it's easy for some people to yield to the thought. Does that make sense? But we have a choice in it. When the doctor came and gave me the bad report of mom, Physically, it made me sick on the inside. When she had her massive heart attack, he he gave me a grim outlook. In fact, he told me, he said, I, you know, he said, your mom, she's continuing, she's her heart heart rate or or blood pressure is continuing to drop, and I'm doing everything that I can, but I can't get it to come up any. And he said, and she could flatline at any moment. Do you want me to resuscitate her? That's not the way I want to begin a conversation with a doctor. Do you want me to, do you, do you, do I want you to revive my mom? He said, well, your mom is a, is a small woman. She is, she's just, you know, a small thing. He said, and we could cause more damage. How many of you know I'm at a crossroads? I have an opportunity in my mind to stand on his word or to receive and accept what the doctor says as final authority, even though I'm not calling the doctor a liar. Doctors have a responsibility to tell you the truth. That's all they're doing. Sometimes people get mad because they tell them the truth and they tell them all the side effects that could potentially come out of that because they've seen it. And instead of getting mad at the doctor, how about instead standing in faith? And so there I was, I was at this crossroads where, okay, I have an opportunity here. In essence, he's saying your, man, your mom's going to die. I mean, in the natural, because they had six nurses in the room at that moment. 
Now, why have they abandoned everybody else in the ICU and they're all in mom's room if she isn't about to flatline? And so my dad leaned over, he kissed her, he said something to her, I couldn't hear what he said. And I came behind him and I did the same thing. I leaned over mom, I said, mom, you're, you're fighting a good fight, keep it up. Now, everything in my natural man felt no faith when I said that at all. But you know what I've learned? Faith is not a feeling. It's not something that you feel. It's something that you believe because your feelings follow what you believe. Your feelings can change. Feelings are, I mean, they're a roller coaster. You feel great today. Don't feel good. Well, how are you feeling today? Oh, I don't even ask people that anymore. I mean, I get an earful. I don't even ask how you're doing today anymore. It's, it's disappointing. It's like, dear God, you know, every day can't be terrible. I mean, you're alive. Find something to be, to rejoice. I mean, rejoice. <laughs> Find something to rejoice about. But when I was at that crossroads, I realized I had a decision to make. And I know enough about God that he's not a liar. The devil is the liar. My Bible says that he's the father of lies. Okay, all right, so don't worry about anything, right? Instead, pray about everything. Tell God, I didn't digress. I'm going to give you the answer, okay? We're getting to it. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. That is our job right there is to tell God, Lord, I thank you for healing my mom. I'm putting it in your hands and I refuse to be afraid and I refuse to worry or be anxious about it. And I I went in the waiting area and I sat down. Verse uh, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace. Look at what happens when you make the decision to do what I just said. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Oh, man. How much anxiety can you give God? All of it. Give him all of it, and then what he'll do is he'll give you all of his peace. Isn't that a great trade? How many of you would take that trade? I would take that trade. Man, just hand God. God, this is my worry. This is my concern. This is my anxiety, but I hand it all to you, and I refuse to worry about it. I refuse to be anxious or concerned. And then verse 8. All right, we're finally there. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Does that sound familiar? One final thing. One thing. One thing from last week. One thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So that's what you ask when you have a thought. Is it true? Is it holy? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? Is it any of these things? Because if it's not, my responsibility is to take that thought captive and say, no, no, you don't have permission in my mind. I'm not going to think on that. 
But I'll tell you what I will think on. Let's say my situation in the hospital with mom, you know? Okay, thoughts of your mom's gonna die. That's the very first thought, okay. Your mom is going to die. I said, no, my Bible says that my mom will live. She'll have a long life on earth. I took that thought and I transformed it into something that was pure, something that was whole, holy, something that was true. Does that make sense? Okay, I got two people that said, yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense for everybody? Okay, what are you doing? You are transforming the way that you think. Why? Because we have had a culture of a way that we think that is not helping our life. Why? Because we are, we, we can, what was the scripture I read in Proverbs? As a man thinks, so is he. Well, we don't want to be like the negative thoughts we've been thinking. We want to be like the thoughts that God thinks toward us. The expanded Bible says this, focus your thoughts on, fill your minds with these things. What that type of fill, fill not fill, but F-I-L-L, is talking about is that there's no more room. You're so full of good thoughts, you don't have any room in there for negative thoughts. You don't have any room in there for anxiety, for worry, for concern. Let me tell you something, Nancy, you bake, you've baked in the past. I'm not saying you bake now, because, uh, but let's say you bake a cake. It's a beautiful cake. How much poison would be allowable to put in that cake? Any? Wait, 5.5? You're saying zero. Point one. Point two five three six zero. Why? You don't tolerate poison in your cakes, do you? Then why do we tolerate poison in our thoughts? Phil, are you saying my thoughts are cake? No, hear the point, please. Don't. I got everybody. It's lunchtime coming up. All right. Last scripture. Philippians 4 8. And I'm going to read the B part. I want to read it to you out of the Living Bible. I thought this was so good. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about it. Think about all the things that you can praise God for and be glad about it. Those are the things that we should put our mind on. And I'll tell you, much of the way that our mind or my mind is regulated is based on what I feed on what I put my eyes on, what I allow in my ears, what I allow myself to receive as input into my life can affect the way that I think. Why? Because those thoughts will come back to me. For instance, we, we watched, I'm fasting movies during this time, and so the Lord told me not to watch a movie unless my wife specifically asked me to watch a movie. And so she did, she wanted to have a date night, and I said, okay, God, I'm doing it. And she picked the movie, and we watched this movie, and when we can't, I'm fasting other things, okay? I'm, I'm fasting, we're doing the Daniel fast. And, okay, well, I just got defensive all of a sudden, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was, anyway, and so the movie was over. Well, the next day, I'm still thinking about scenes from that movie. I'm still thinking about different things that happened in that movie. It was one of those movies that I thought, man, this movie's sticking with me, so. I mean, it obviously deposited something in me that caused me to think about it. Imagine 
putting the word in us on a regular basis. Imagine like Mario that we feel I don't have eight hours a day. No, but you do have some time. We allot time to the things that we value, right? And so when we value the word of God, we take time to sit down and digest it and not speed read through it, but allow it to speak to our hearts, right? And when we do, it transforms our thinking. Our thinking begins to line up with his thinking. Amen. Well, did you get something out of this this morning? Glory to God. Amen. Well, would you bow your heads this morning?